Inside Vegas is presented by MyBookie.ag. MyBookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Inside Vegas podcast, as well as the Sports Gaming Podcast Network. Use promo code SGP50 to receive a 50% deposit bonus today. Inside Vegas is also brought to you by OddShark. OddShark has the latest betting trends available nowhere else, as well as betting picks from their supercomputer. Check out all of their quality content and betting trends at OddShark.com. Welcome into the Inside Vegas podcast, next latest and greatest episode. And I'm pretty excited for this one because this is kind of the first one where we turn from the social media aspect into Inside Vegas, for lack of a better term. It really is. We're going to bring on Tom Drill, who is a risk manager in La- inside Las Vegas for the M Sportsbook and Casino, which is a CGT-owned property. Basically, what we're going to talk about is what a risk manager does. And this is the person who specifically is moving lines. If he if you're you're betting on a game and your point spread on an NFL game has gone from minus seven and a half to minus six, he's the person who did it. Um, and so he gave us kind of an unbelievable peek behind the curtain as to why things are done the way they are, what kind of things influence a line movement, um, if futures liability is kind of tied into all these type of things. Um, and it's basically all things, kind of what the relationship is between an odds maker who is initially hanging the lines and the risk manager who is moving them based on liability. Um, some questions that I got uh, from you guys via DMs, which was basically, well, I asked you guys what you wanted to hear. And some of the things was was the big ones was reverse line movement, trap lines, You know how much was there a dollar amount that's correlated with you know moving a line one point? Uh, so these are all t- the types of things that we got answers on. Um, and again, I can't thank him enough for, for doing this podcast with us. Um, I think it's a great interview. Uh, you guys will learn a ton of stuff from from all things kind of line and liability in Las Vegas. Uh, again, from a, a current Las Vegas risk manager who is, again, moving these lines. So as always, uh, thank you to the guest, and I hope you guys appreciate it. All right, joining me on the Inside Vegas podcast is Tom Drool. Tom is a... Las Vegas risk manager for a prominent sports book in Las Vegas owned and operated by CGT uh, known as the M. Um, the M is kind of, I'll say famous in town, but it's known for a couple of things. One is taking some of the largest bet sizes in Las Vegas, as well as, uh, again, CGT has kind of gone through its ups and downs. That's no secret, but it's, it's a, the way that it's run. Uh, we're going to kind of get into that, kind of get into everything as well as kind of what a risk manager does. And what the difference is between a risk manager is and in, in with an odds maker, um, and kind of what that relationship looks like, the differences, the pros and cons to each of those fields, um, some betting philosophy, um, and, and a whole lot of other things. I really feel this would be kind of one of the best interviews that we have on here um, because it's a lot of inside information that isn't kind of well known to the public. So, um, first of all, thank you for coming on. Um, how are you today? T- talk to me about all things Vegas. How are you? Yeah, sure. I'm great. Um, great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, you're right. The M is one of the largest books in town. CGT likes to pride itself on taking the biggest bets in Las Vegas. And, uh, we still do that to this day. Absolutely. So for anyone that doesn't know, I'm just kind of give an intro 
about yourself, kind of what your background is and how you kind of got to this point in your career to be a risk manager for one of the largest books in Las Vegas, uh, which is a CGT owned property. 2018 marks the 14th year that I've been in the betting industry. Um, in a nutshell, I spent four years in London working as an assistant bookmaker. I spent six months offshore in Antigua working for Bodog, which is now known as Bovada. And I spent the last seven years of my career in Australia, and I worked for four different companies in Australia. International All Sports Betting, Centrebet, Sporting Bet Australia, and my last job was William Hill Australia. Awesome. And were you a risk manager at all those places or kind of what was your path? Um, like, did you start as a ticket writer? Kind of how did you take this path into getting up to uh, being a risk manager? In Australia, I worked as a risk manager and an odds compiler. Um, the job was pretty much rolled into one over there. My first job um, was on the telephones in London. Um, I joined, uh, excuse me, sorry. I joined as a um, it was my first job outside of school. Mm -hmm. And when you say the telephones, was that like kind of like a, like a ticket writer, the equivalent of that in the United States? Right. 90% um, of our business was online, but we still had 10% of our business uh, of customers who like to bet over the telephone. Mm -hmm. So uh, we had, we catered for that clientele as well. And we had a room full of um, young guys like myself who, um, would take the bets over the telephone and any large bets that came through, we would shout across just like a trading <laughs> floor. Yeah. That seems so archaic now, but it's, yeah, it does. Yeah. That's crazy. So in a nutshell, for anyone that doesn't know, uh, just kind of talk about what an odds in a risk manager does, um, kind of what that career entails. Um, and then we'll kind of take it from there. Uh, risk manager. It's our job to manage the company liability. Um, we, Basically, we make sure that the company doesn't lose. Mm -hmm. at, the, at the end of the day, that's what we do. We balance the game. We balance the books and we balance the games in such a way that our bosses, our managers, are happy with the liability that we have on any particular game on any given day. And so, you're specifically the one that's that's physically moving these lines, right? Yes, correct. Right. And so that's, that's one of the, when I opened this up to kind of what were some questions that for people that wanted to know some insight into risk management and kind of where lines were moved. That was the big one is, is what moves a line or, or who's moving these lines, the concept of trap lines or reverse line movement or all these things. And, and this is the person that who's physically doing these things. Um, so it's why I thought this would be kind of a, a fantastic guest to have um, for this this type of podcast and this type of environment. So I mean, let's just let's just get into it. Why does the line move? What are some factors into a team uh, going from you know I don't want to use a key numbers because that's kind of a different element, but from going from you know a minus four to a minus three, um, is it just money or, or kind of what are some factors outside of that that go into it? Um, there's quite a few things uh, that are involved, um, but uh, it's two key things: it's people and money. Uh, team news is a different thing. It, injury plays uh, are a different matter, and uh, we'll probably touch on that later. But right now, it's it's going to be people, who, basically, who is betting, and money, how much are they betting. It's those two things that move the line more than anything else. Right, and that's the big thing is... Uh, question over and over that has been kind of the age old question in Las Vegas is what moves lines more? Is it people? Um, is it professional? Is it, you know, quote unquote sharp or is it money? Is it simply one or the other? Is it a combination of both or which one moves lines more? Is it people or is it money? If there's a hundred thousand dollar liability, but it's all uh, square action, you know, Floyd Mayweather versus Conor McGregor comes to mind. 
Um, that was a prime example of reverse line movement where Vegas needed one side, yet the line kind of moved it to, towards the other. Um, so which one moves it more? Is it professional people or is it um, money and money only? In my experience, it's definitely professional gamblers that move the line more. Um, I, I know that uh, my bosses in particular and any other company that I've worked uh, for previously, uh, we're happy to stand uh, any game for 50, 100, 200,000, whatever it may be, as long as we know that it's square action. But if it's a professional punter who knows what he's doing and has possibly more information than us, then we'll definitely move the line on his bet. So what would move the line more? A $20,000 bet from a very professional, uh, very sharp person or $40,000 from, you know, a quote unquote whale, a, you know, somebody that just um, has the money. They don't do no, no research or just someone that's uninformed, but just has the money, but you're going to have a liability towards that side. Or would it be the smaller bet with a professional? The smaller bet with a professional and uh, the professionals that I see uh, on a daily basis, they don't even bet 20,000. They're in the sort of $5,000 range, sometimes even less. Um, we would move a line more aggressively from a $5,000 bet from a professional guy. And there's one in particular I know who's very, very good on college football um, and likes to bet five dimes only on college games. We would move the line far more from his bet than we would somebody betting 20,000 or 50,000, for example, on a game that is a market number and is not moving um, and is considered by us to be a square punter. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's so important because it's, it's one of those things that's been asked for so many times. And sometimes you get one answer or another, but I mean, there it is, you know, straight from the horse's mouth is, is to kind of what will move lines more and it's people. It's, it's uh, a lower bet from someone that, that is deemed to be sharp or, or anything like that. The other question I got a lot was, is there a set dollar amount in what will move a line? You know, say in football, how, is there a dollar amount associated with one point? Um, is, for NBA, is it associated with, you know, two points per basket or, or baseball on the money line? Just kind of, is there a dollar amount associated with any of those things specifically that says, okay, I have this, I have X amount of dollars in liability, or I just got this X amount of dollars in bet, I have to move the line. There definitely is a dollar amount. And uh, let's take football as an example. Um, on a Sunday afternoon, we may open up next week's next weekend's lines, uh, and we may we may be up first, and a few other companies in town will be up at the same time as us. Now, it may only take two dimes from anybody to move that line because the market is still forming. And on a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it may only take five dimes for the line to move. But once we get to a Friday, Saturday, and early morning on a Sunday. The market is formed. We know everything about the teams, who's playing, who's not playing. We'd, ha we'd happily take a $50,000 bet on a Saturday or a Sunday, knowing that, that the market wouldn't move as much. Mm -hmm. So it really is uh, one end of the, two ends of the, of the spectrum, excuse me. Yep. Um, like I said, on a Monday, a $2,000 bet might be enough to move a line. On a Sunday morning, at 9 a.m., right before the games are about to jump, 20,000, 30,000 might not even be enough to move a line. Right. So there's no dollar amount associated with one point. Like one point isn't worth, say, $50,000, right? It's all, it has to do with the market being fluid and kind of liability and stuff like that. Like, so 
depending on liability, sometimes a thousand uh, dollar bet uh, might move, you know, a total on baseball if there's no kind of two way action liability there. So for sure, that's Open, overnight baseball for sure. Uh, our limits might be uh, a dime on the money line and 500 on the totals um, to a square customer. It might be two and one. Yep, exactly. And so, that might be all that's needed to to move a number. Yeah, and that's that's one of those things that it, it's so fluid. We always talk about that sports gambling is a market and it's fluid. And that's why we say there's no set kind of dollar amount associated with one point, especially when it's around you know key numbers for football or, or basketball. Um, so all that stuff, again, this, the market is always fluid. It's always changing. And so it's not just one set for somebody to say, you know, I put a $2,000 bet down. I moved the line one point. No, it's, it's definitely not that. Um, it, it's not, you know, we take 5,000 and we move it this much. We take 7,000 and we move it this much. That, that's not the case. It's, uh, as you rightly said, it's definitely fluid. Um, and we're constantly looking at what liability we have on each game. And we certainly look at, our liability on the point spread and compare that with the money line. And we can look at both and use one or the other to offset the other. Yeah. Perfect. So one kind of misconception here uh, is that I want to talk about a little bit what an odds maker does and how that's different from a risk manager and kind of how the two, how that relationship works. So an odds maker is the one who is making the line. All that is, is kind of their power number and that's what it is. Um, and you're the one that's kind of managing liability and moving the line once it's there. Um, but just kind of talk to, kind of through how that relationship works with like with your odds maker. Um, like if, you know, once a line is opened, based on whatever it is, just kind of how that relationship goes back and forth. It's very, it's very black and white, um, the difference between an odds maker and a risk manager, certainly uh, from what I've seen here in Las Vegas. Uh, let's Talking about the odds compilers first, um, they are the ones doing the research. They are the ones looking at team news. They are the ones looking at Twitter and all of the other sources on the internet. These are the guys who are handicappers. These are the ones who are generating the lines and what they do is they send the lines to us they are um they they don't see the bets mm -hmm. they don't see the money they don't see the customers um all of their work is focused on research and analysis and coming up with a number um that will allow us to get two-way action mm -hmm. That is what an odds. That is what an odds compiler does, in the in the truest sense of the word. That is what an odds compiler does. A risk manager, which is what I do, um, we're the money guys. We see the bets, we deal with the customers, and we move the lines based on the liability that we have. Um, we monitor the market. We definitely look at Don Best and sports options, and we look at what other companies are moving to. Um, and we also look at particular customers as well. And we look at their betting patterns, um, what numbers they're taking, what that number moves to, um, and so on and so forth, whether they uh, like a particular side, whether they like particular teams. Our job is very much customer-focused rather than information-focused. Right. And I mean, you kind of have to take teams and things out of it. All you're doing is, is basically math, right? You're just managing risk and that's it. It's, you don't have a, you know, a set stake in all you're trying to do is get two way action. And if you don't have it, just try to entice it basically. Right. Right. The risk manager, definitely. Uh, we divorce ourselves from 
the teams. We divorce ourselves from uh, injury play. Uh, excuse me. We just divorce ourselves from injuries. Um, any information. We are simply looking at the money, and we're simply looking at who is betting. So when you say you divorce yourself from injuries, that's that's the big one, right? That's probably the number one thing, especially in the major sports in the United States market, especially football, basketball, baseball. Obviously, things will change if it's if it's a pitcher scratch, if you don't, if it's an action bet or anything like that. But what is you know, there's these things out there that kind of say, okay, Aaron Rodgers is worth six points. So that's, that's a line changing. That's, that's a, a prominent change in the line. So is that you that's putting these number values on individual players? Is that an analytics thing? Does that come from your odds maker? Cause it kind of falls in under power rankings or is that you saying I have assigned a value to kind of every player in the NFL or, or the uh, NBA or any given sport that it is? Yeah, I'd just like to clarify what I said before. Um, we definitely look at um, injury plays because those happen maybe 30 minutes before a game is about to jump. So yep. that's our job to to make that decision on what the line should be. But uh, in terms of putting a value on a particular player, um, that's not our job. Uh, essentially, that, that's definitely definitely an analytics uh, thing. For, uh, excuse me. That's definitely a, a thing for the analytics to do. Mm-hmm. What is that kind of process? Like, say this happened a ton last year in the NFL with the Vikings, right? With Sam Bradford or Case Keenum. I mean, offshore shops, like five dimes or hanging lines. Like if Bradford plays this, if they, if he doesn't, there's no action. And then you can take it, you know, if Keenum plays or whatever, obviously you can't, that stuff's kind of not in the, in the Las Vegas, United States market. But what is the process of say, you know, Deshaun Watson went out. That's uh, a great example. Went out last year in the middle of the week, Wednesday, Thursday with a torn ACL. I think they were favored and then they went to, they were favored by like four and then went to like a three point dog. But like what, you know, when a, when an injury breaks like that, kind of what is the process and, and kind of how do you guys on top of that, what is the process of, of changing that line based on an injury and what that perceived value is? How do you guys stay at the forefront, especially you as the risk manager of these injuries and kind of being ahead of some of the sharpest people in the world trying to get the best of a number? If it's a major injury, um, we'll definitely take the game down. And of course, any customer who placed a wager before that game was taken down, we will of, of course honor that bet. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's a key, if it's a key injury, we'll take that game down and uh, wait for the market to reform. Uh, we're not uh, trying to be heroes here by coming up with a number. <laughs> um, uh, we generally go with whatever the market comes back up with. We'll go, and we're happy to take a bet uh, at whatever the market price is. Um, we'll definitely. Uh, speak with our analytics team and see what they say and we'll definitely use their opinion in coming up with a, a number and seeing what where that opinion sits with the newly reformed market mm-hmm. uh, but at the end of the day um, I, I'm definitely not ashamed to say and I don't think any other bookmaker in Las Vegas would say that um, we generally just like to be where the market is yeah nobody really likes to be outside of what the market is unless we need to take a bet Right. And that's something that is, I don't want to say bothered me, but it's, there's this huge kind of thought process being floated around that the worst thing that could happen for a book is to be middled. And it's not even my issue with that thought process is that you can only get middled if it's two of your own properties. Um, So if a CGT property, you know, say the M and hard rock, you know, an injury happens or it opens around a key number and they ended up getting you know hit right in the middle. I completely understand that thought process. But why is it that a CGT property cares what kind of line, you know, the Westgate 
um, Hanks, you know, say that you have, or your odds maker has a completely different opinion on it. You make, you know, based on their power numbers, they make a game, you know, New England versus Miami, they make minus 10, but the Westgate hangs minus six. There's, it's not even entertained for you guys to kind of hang your own numbers. Obviously everything's outsourced. I get that. But even if the outsourced numbers are different than what quote unquote market is, they kind of take the market consensus and then they build a number from that. Um, but why do you think that is that books are so afraid to kind of get middled, even though, you know, it would be impossible unless it's the same kind of CGT technology book that would be getting middled. Sure. Um, my boss is only concerned about a few things, basically what matchbook is and what pinnacle is and certainly in town, what Westgate is yep. because they are generally to considered to be the, the largest book in town and take the, the largest bets. CGT, we like to take some large bets as well. Yep. But um, we definitely have some books in – we definitely hold some books in high regard and others not in high regard depending on the kind of action that they take. Yep. There are some books that we see on the screen, offshore, will only move when other companies move. But if we know that the big boys are moving, Pinnacle, Chris, Five Dimes – and the exchange matchbook, if we know that they're moving, then we generally don't like to be outside of what their price is or their line is. Right. So how do you kind of stay at the forefront of, of information? Is it honestly, is it, you know, gambling right now, the hot, the, you know, however you can get it the quickest. So Twitter is, has kind of changed the game. Social yeah. media, like, like how do you kind of stay on top of, of trying to get ahead of these injuries before a professional comes in and, and hits you and gets the best of the number? Well, that's, that's actually a, a regret, really, um, I think, with a lot of bookmakers in Las Vegas is that it used to be Las Vegas that set the lines, yep. and it's not anymore. It's all outsourced. It's all outsourced, and it's all, it all seems to be offshore companies that are going up first. Yep. Uh, and, and Las Vegas is definitely more reactionary these days to what they're going up with because from what I've heard and I'm, I don't know this for sure, but I think they take bigger wages than we do. Offshore. I think so. Um, I mean, what's, what's kind of your limit on an NFL Sunday? Yeah. Um, our limits on an NFL Sunday, 50,000. Yeah. 50,000, which is, uh, of course, if it's a market number, a guy can have up to a hundred thousand if he wanted to. Yeah. Um, 50,000 is a guideline. It's not a set limit. It's just a guideline. Yeah. That my boss says, is that across the board for all sports or is that NFL? Um, we'll kind of touch into the, the niche markets, the smaller markets and that type of stuff. Yep. Um, but like for, you know, kind of the big stuff, hockey, baseball, basketball, football, all that stuff is those two numbers kind of across the board, your limits. No, um, football is uh, by far our largest, uh, sport in terms of, in terms of handle. So, um, our limits might be 50 to a hundred thousand for football, but it might be 20 to 30 for NBA, 10 to 20 for college, and baseball during the summer, it might be 20, 20 to 50,000. Yeah. Um, totals are less. First half markets are less. And second half markets also are less. And so being with that, again, we talked about how people will move the lines in, instead of money. Um, and so to kind of tie that all together, it, there's this, there's two schools of thoughts and kind of what this is, right? Is it gambler versus gambler? Is it gambler versus sports book? Kind of, you know, being a risk manager, you have to be kind of in tune with every single market, which I can't imagine, you know, for me, you know, say I want to be, I want to strictly focus on UFC handicapping or college football handicapping. I can kind of hone in on that market, but how do you keep up with 
all these different games. I mean, there's literally hundreds of games from everything from tennis to UFC to European soccer to the National Football League. So kind of, you know, is one kind of valued more than the other or, you know, even within sports on top of sports, how do you kind of risk, you know, manage risk on, you know, a game with a hundred bet tickets on it, you know, like a Cleveland state versus Delaware when, you know, on that same day, there could be a hundred thousand NFL game going, or, you know, liability game. So like, how does that kind of all work and kind of flow in with each other? You can't, it's a simple answer. You, you don't have the time. You don't have the resources. You have to trust the market that you see on the screen. And it's, it's a really, um, bad thing to say because I would love to be able to do my own research and I would love to have a team, a room full of odds compilers who were specialists on for each sport, for each sport. But that's just not the case. Um, when you have 60 or 70 college basketball games on a Saturday afternoon, you just don't have the time uh, to be able to monitor everything all at once. So you have to trust the market that's out there. And if a customer is taking a number that's off market, yes, we'll give them a bet, but we'll move it back in line. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, this, this pros versus Joe's kind of gambler versus sports book is, it's been a topic of discussion for so long and that is it, you know, me versus another gambler trying to get the best of the number? Is it me versus somebody else trying to, you know, me versus a sports book or a professional versus a sports book? So we just talked about some of the kind of the disadvantages that they're at within kind of having to deal with all of these things because he's managing liability for all these different sports at the same time. Um, but what are some kind of other, you know, advantages versus disadvantages in this ever moving kind of cat and mouse game before beside or within professionals in uh, Las Vegas sports books? I think um, the risk manager, the, the sports books are at a disadvantage. Um, we're obliged to offer every single game. We're obliged to take bets um we're open every day and we have to to cater to every single kind of customer yep um whereas yourself for example on the other side of the counter you have everything going for you you uh can choose your own hours (laughs) which is obviously uh very nice um you can be selective on what you bet on yep uh you can spend as much time as you like doing your research and you can even specialize on unique markets. Yep. Um, I know you in particular, you specialize on UFC. Yep. Um, but there's professionals out there that only specialize on totals. Yep. They only specialize on second half totals. So um, the customer has every advantage um, in terms of the only disadvantage is that we, we get to choose how much they can bet. If we don't want to t- accept their bets, we have the right to reject it. But um, that's the only thing really going for us. We have to offer offer every game and uh, we're open all day, every day, basically. So um, we're constant, we're fighting a, as a risk manager, we're fighting a constant battle against, uh, against these customers um, who are trying to, to beat us every day. Um, it's, it's, it's a very interesting uh, fight. For sure. Well, you're doing something right because Nevada sportsbooks haven't had a losing month. The last one that they had was a losing month was July of 2013. Right. So being at such a disadvantage, yeah, I don't know if I believe that fully. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, that's, uh, that is what it is. You know, seeing that number to me is, is absolutely astounding. I didn't even know that until you had pointed it out before we kind of started this, this process. But why do you think it is that 
the sports books are at, you know, you just outlined all the disadvantages that they have mm-hmm. yet. You haven't had a losing month in over four years, five years. Yeah. Um, that, that's certainly true. And it's, uh, it's basically because, um, customers bet too much too often and they don't know what they're doing with, yep. with, the, with the greatest of respect, <laughs> um, with, with, with respect, um, they don't have the information that certain select professionals would have. Yep. Um, I think you can go further and say that, um, uh, the guys who know what they're talking about and knows what, and know what, excuse me, and know what they're doing, they know what the numbers should be. Yep. If they're taking a, a football game and they're laying three and they know it should be five or six, they're going to take that all day. But um, your average customer, your average loser is not price sensitive. He's, he doesn't mind what price it takes to, to a degree. Yep. You know, he knows the difference between two and a half and three and three and a half for sure. Um, I'm not trying to trying to belittle, belittle anybody here, but I'm saying that um, a, a customer is generally not price sensitive. They yep. just want they want the action, and and if they lose, we do see a lot of customers chasing their losses as well. Um, I think the customer your your average customer that loses, they generally bet parlays as well. Um, again, with the greatest of respects, we consider, you don't have to pre-visit with that. <laughs> the public's a real thing, man. Yeah. We, we consider parlay action as dead money. Yeah. Um, pretty much. That's interesting. Cause I kind of have this theory that not theory, but I feel like the general public is becoming much more informed, especially with social media companies like sports insights. That, I mean, they have, they're looking at the same type of Don best screen that you are. Oh, definitely. So with you being kind of in this field for as long as you have, do you feel that the public is getting slightly smarter? I mean, obviously not if you haven't had a losing week or losing month in four years, but yeah. you know, kind of has, have things kind of shifted in terms of information and, and kind of the general run of the mill recreational, you know, hundred dollar better. Are they kind of, you know, hitting a, you know, a, above average clip than what you've seen? Absolutely. For sure. There's no question. Uh, I've, you know, going back uh, 10 or 12 years when I first started out in London, um, these, these customers that would uh, pick us off were, you could count on, on one hand. Now, it seems to be every customer that we see come through on the screen um, is, is picking off a good number. And the, the, uh, the square action that we have is quite limited, to be honest. Yeah. So it's definitely, it's a battle of information and it's almost fastest fingers first. Yeah, seriously. Yeah. Anyone who can jump in and get that good number before it moves um, you know, is, is going to beat us to it. What would you define sharp as, you know, kind of what makes a professional professional and what kind of makes, you know, you just touched on what makes the public, the public and kind of the uninformed better, but you know, the, the word sharp is both the most misused term in this industry. I really feel it because being sharp, all that being sharp means is you've got the best of the number. Yeah. That's all that it means. You know, people are, you know, professional betters are called sharps, but that's kind of incorrect in that to be sharp or you, you know, you are sharp. You just, it's somebody who consistently gets the best of the number. Oh, um, it, so what other kind of things are, are make somebody, you know, quote unquote professional? You're, you're definitely, uh, you're spot on there with, um, that the fact that that word is overused. Um, what it, what is a sharp customer these days? Um, uh, that, that word is banded around so much. Um, <laughs> uh, we, we, you know, you can use wise guy. Yep. We used uh, tough in, in Australia. We used hot as well. One guy is hot, one guy is cold. Yeah. But um, no, uh, what it is really, um, the sharp guys that we see, they are selective and they're consistent. Yep. 
you know, uh, going back to that one guy who bets only bets college football, he only bets college football. He doesn't bet anything else. Yep. You know, so that's his focuses on one market. Focuses on one sport. Focuses on um, one market, and that's point spreads. So he's selective, and he's consistent, and he's also a level staker. Um, going back to what we said just now about um, your average Joe, uh, your average Joe will chase his losses and increase his stakes just to get back what he's lost. Right. Your your professional. They're perfectly fine taking a loss and moving on to the next day. Yeah, because they know over time they'll get it back. Yep. Well, they they know that over time they'll beat us, and they'll only they'll only beat us as a, at a small percentage, but it's enough. If you turn over enough, you know, a small percentage is fine. That's what they say, man. Fifty-seven percent will get you rich. You know, I've had this conversation a lot, and I completely agree with you. The only two things that separate a professional from a recreational better to me is two things: it's unit size and it's selectivity. Um, you know, I go days and days without betting, um, and again, it's it's selectivity and it's unit size. Because if you're a hundred dollar better and you go three and two. You know, minus your juice, you made maybe 90 bucks, whatever it is, 80 bucks. If you're betting $1,000, now you're up 800. You know, so selectivity and unit size to me are the two biggest things that separate them. I would, I would add in that money management skills, yep. for sure. Um, if you can manage your money effectively, you're doing a much better job than your, the average person out there. And uh, being price sensitive as well. Always being able to shop around and get the best number. Mm-hmm. It, it definitely uh, benefits you over you over the long run. Yeah, and it's one of those things that you talked about how you know a regular somebody a tourist in town isn't going to go number shop. They're just not going to do it. Um, but oh, again, because it's a long term thing, you know, the chances of it specifically burning you on that one specific you know NBA game when you laid five and it went to four and it landed there is is honestly pretty slim. But over time, you know, it, it will get you, especially when you talk about money lines and baseball and hockey and those type of money line sports. But I think the pro will will take emotion out of it as well. Yeah, for sure. You know, they they know like like we just said, they know that if they lose one day, they'll get it back uh, over the course of time. Uh, the Joe, you know, he needs to get that money back straight away. Yeah, exactly. They got to get that money back before that plane leaves, right? What um? So in talking with you know. It, can you anticipate sharp action? When I say that, you know, obviously you're not the one that's coming out with the line, but you're the one that's moving it. Are you more apt to move it quicker? You know, as soon as, you know, if, if you have one guy that you know that specifically, you know, always kind of backs one team or fades one team, or do you kind of, again, this is an odds maker is the one that would, you know, kind of shade that line, but would you be more apt to move it based on perceived, you know, you, I, you know the fact that you think a sharp player is going to come on this, this line or this market very quickly? I actually think it's the opposite. I think uh, that the sharp guys uh, are not beholden to one team. Um, they'll bet whatever they want if they think there's value. Yep. Uh, they'll bet the Celtics one day and they'll bet um, against the Celtics the next day as long as they think the number is wrong. I think we're actually trying to anticipate what the square guys will do because we have a couple of guys who'll bet. Public has their say, especially in football. Yeah. Well, you know, we'll, we'll have a couple of guys who'll bet in the hundreds, two hundred thousands, um, but they're, they're not they're not doing anything. Um, they're square customers, mm-hmm. so we actually try and anticipate where they're going to come. That's interesting. I don't think a lot of people would think of it like that. Yeah, it's true. You know, and we'll actually use the the sharp guys once we take that hundred thousand dollar wager. We'll actually move the number and use those sharp guys to offset some of that liability. Mm-hmm. 
So when we're not we're not anticipating what the sharp guys will do, we'll take their bet and we'll move the line aggressively. Um, but we're not um, we're not looking to try and work out what they're doing. Uh, we know they're going to bet, and uh, we'll take their we'll take their action and we'll move accordingly. But it's the, it's the the big whales out there, and we definitely have a few of those. Yep, um, they're the ones who bet. Um, how shall I say? They like to bet the same teams. Yep, you know, hometown um, teams, whatever it is, whatever it is. Uh, you know, there's a guy. For example, lives in Chicago, flies into town. Just say the Cubs, the Cowboys, Patriots, all that. You know, it it, it is true. So um, we'll try and anticipate what those guys are going to bet, and uh, and then use the sharp guys um, and the scalpers to uh, to get off um, some of our action. Absolutely, some of our liability. I should say sorry. Yeah, no, and and with that word, liability is kind of the theme of this because I think it, it ties everything together. And there's maybe no greater, <clears throat> excuse me. No greater illustration of that than the futures market, because you could have, you know, at the Astros were 10 to one to win the world series. I mean, that creates the, the liability adds up quickly. I'm sure, you know, especially when you talk about professionals that again, I don't know what um, the limits were. I think it was a dime um, when they opened things like that was uh, with Houston specifically, but you know, these teams like, you know, Michigan and Ohio state to, to always win the, or Alabama to win uh, the national title or, the Cubs, you know, those teams have built-in liability uh, within that number, I would think. Again, that's more of an odds maker question, but where I want to tie this back into risk management is, do any futures affect how you would kind of, uh, you know, move lines day to day in that, especially when it comes to like NFL football, again, because the line is set, the point spread is set, but that all comes back to your liability as a risk manager of what this is going to do to your bottom line if this team wins and this future comes in, right? So kind of what is the relationship in between long-term bets like futures and then how is that kind of tied into the day-to-day things of uh, like your day liability instead of, you know, coupled with your future liability? I would say only in the playoffs yeah. do we look at the futures. We're looking at the futures on a day-to-day basis for sure, but it's only during the playoffs that we tie in that liability into the liability that we have. On you just kind of put game. it on the back burner for, for basically you know six months into the season or whatever? For, yeah. Yep. Um, for, for the entire regular season, um, the futures market is open, but the liability that we have is put on the back burner because we're focused primarily on the games and the action that we have on those games. It's only when we hit the playoffs that we start bringing that liability, that futures liability on particular teams into how we're going to offset something. Are you the one that specifically is shortening or making more uh, longer odds for teams throughout the season? Um, like say, you know, Again, going back to the Houston uh, Astros winning the World Series last year, they opened ten to one, steadily uh, decreased throughout the year. Same thing with uh, the Dodgers. Are you the one that's looking at your liability? Say whatever it is, weekly, monthly, daily, and shortening or making those odds bigger. Te- te- technically, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me, I'm stuttering. It's <laughs> all right. Technically, yes. As risk managers, um, we are the ones that move the numbers on anything. Anything you see on the board, we're the ones that move the numbers. Mm-hmm. But um, with CGT specifically. It's my boss who looks after the futures markets and he will have the final say on where we move a number to. Is that kind of the norm in that risk managers don't usually deal with uh, futures and it's kind of, I want to say outsourced, but is, does CGC operate differently than kind of other books in Las Vegas in that respect? Um, CGC is different in 
one respect that my boss, um, he likes to have... Uh, when you say your boss, is that like the, the head's odds maker? Yeah. Okay. Uh, no, head risk manager. Yep. Okay. Um, he likes to uh, keep a close eye on all of the futures markets. That's just his thing. Mm -hmm. um, and that's fine. Um, in previous companies that I've worked for, we've had specialist guys in Australia. We had a guy who looked after the rugby league. One guy looked after the AFL and it, and it falled on him in particular to look after anything where it, whether it was a, a daily match or the futures market prop bets or anything in between. If it was Aussie rules related, that was his thing. So he would have the final say. What about markets that are, you know, there's two sides to this that I want to touch on. Cause I think it's completely fascinating in that, uh, you could have, you know, the most liability of the year for the Super Bowl. Um, you know, just for example, what is what was your liability uh, or your kind of your hold for the Super Bowl this past year? Or do you know off the top of your head? Like I, just ballpark. I, I honestly don't know off the top of my head. I can't remember that far back. Um, Hundreds of millions or do you have any ballpark? I wish I could give you a ballpark figure. I'm sorry. I can't do that. All right. Well, just speaking generally, when we talk about that, like the Super Bowl has, you know, hundreds of millions, you know, potentially billions when you talk about kind of wagered illegally. And then you have markets like say the UFC, where you have a $500 limit for prelims and a thousand dollar main event. Um, you know, maybe for the big ones, $2,000. And we talked about how kind of, you know, the under the radar college games may have value because it's just so hard to keep up with things. But what do, you know, do these niche markets like say tennis, soccer, UFC, are they looked at any differently or is it just taking the zeros out and, you know, from a math perspective, everything is kind of the same. And then in that, you know, I feel like it's almost human nature to not, I don't want to say not take these sports seriously, but where these limits are so low where you can bet $50,000 on an NFL game yet $500 on a UFC that the things kind of fall by the wayside. But how is that kind of relationship between the two markets? Is it that everything is equal or is it just kind of human nature that one kind of falls by the wayside? Let's, let's take UFC as an example. Um, you're right. Uh, our limits are set to 1000 on the main event. It'll be up to two or 3000, um, with our discretion. Um, but we have square customers who'll bet 20,000 on the UFC. It's, it's primarily about the customer. Yeah. We're, we're always looking at the customer and what they're doing. If they're happy to take a market number and they're generally considered a losing customer with us, um, or should we say a square customer? <laughs> one in the same. One in the same. We're, we're happy to put them on. Yeah. So that limit sheet that we have that we use every day is, is very much a guideline. Yep. Uh, like I said before, if a customer wants 20,000 on a UFC main event, for sure we'll put them on. But we'll definitely get off it because I don't think my boss wants a twenty thousand dollar liability, liability right. on on any given UFC fight. Um, we'll definitely get off it, but at the same time, he has the the mentality that you know this guy's not doing anything. Book it. Yeah, let's, let's take the bet. And that's the thing, right? So one of the kind of the last things I want to touch on this particular subject is the human aspect of it, right? So you're kind of you're, you're married to the math in one sense, but there's also this thought process of you know taking a bet, right? Is you know will will a sports book take a position, even if you know if you as a risk manager feel very strongly about one particular thing, yet the numbers are saying that you're a little bit heavy to the other side. 
will you, is it, I mean, obviously it's at your discretion, but are you going to go back and forth? Do you have one kind of set way of saying, nope, I'm married to the numbers. I have this, even if I think it's going to be a losing proposition, I have to do it because that's what the data tells me. Or do you kind of take a stand and, and put that human element back into Las Vegas bookmaking? Yeah, we do. We definitely put the human element back into it. We look at, uh, take an uh, NBA, for example, we look at who's betting, betting it during the day. You know, we have a, a range of customers going from dead square up to extremely sharp mm-hmm. and anywhere in between. And we, we look at who's betting on a particular game and we try to work out what the right side is. Yep. And if, if a dead square customer falls into the side where the sharp guys are on and we're, we're, we've got too much liability on one side, yep. yeah, for sure we'll get off it. Um, so we're con- which it's basically we're trying to say what is the right side on on any given game. What's the right side and what's the wrong side? What's the public side? You know that's yeah, yep. that's what we're trying to work out. It's easier said than done, that's for sure. But the the big thing is that everyone wants to talk about when it comes to lines moving is is two things. It's reverse line movement and it's trap lines, quote unquote trap lines. And from p- speaking to people trap lines don't exist. They really don't. All that that means is that the head odds maker had a different set of power numbers than you, or they're taking into account things that you didn't like travel injury, all those type of things. I, I could be wrong. But, um, in my experience, I, I don't, I haven't seen any trap lines. I honestly don't know what that term really means. Um, it's a, it's a term in that it means, you know, you hear a line say that's fishy. It's a line that looks too good to be true. Yeah. So if, you know, say the Cleveland Cavaliers are facing off against the worst team in the NBA, Yet they are, you know, say the Dallas Mavericks, but the Dallas Mavericks are favored by one. You know, it's like, what is going on in that line? Yeah, I, I think customers, I think the I think customers hold bookmakers in some sort of um, higher powers. If we're like all, all <laughs> yeah, knowing, no, you know. Um, and like I said before, it's a battle of information. We don't know any more than what you guys know. It's not that you know, you know you more know. or less. It's just you have it before you know, us sometimes in that type of situation where maybe there's an injury, maybe there's, you know, a rest disparity, a trend specifically. It's completely a war of information. And it's just, you know, when people say the word trap line, it's okay, well, what is it that's different that I'm not taking into account? Or is it simply, this is just a bad line from, from an odds maker, but for those type of, you know, overwhelming type of liabilities, I mean, what kind of things can you do to entice someone to take the other side to kind of warrant that two-way action? Uh, that's that's really funny. I was actually going to use the same word that you just used, entice. We definitely don't entice anybody uh, to to gamble. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, we provide we provide a service. <laughs> we ain't going to stop you. We're not going to stop you. But um, at the end of the day, if you don't want to bet, that's fine. Um, we don't entice anybody to bet, and we certainly don't put up a line specifically to to try and get action on one, one particular side. That's um, maybe um, one of the biggest things that, that kind of I've talked to when, when I kind of put this out there of questions that people had is, you know, they're bait lines. Are they doing things to try to get action on the other side like that? The only time we will do that, and I, I'd like to clarify this point, is if we are high on one side and we, and we need to get off a particular liability, we will move the line in such a way that we can in try and bring in some action from the other side. Um, and those are where, that's where we'll, we'll probably touch on a little later about scalpers yep. and um, people who play arbitrage, that sort of thing. Um, 
it's it's not a trap line. It really isn't a trap line. But we'll, we might be outside of the market in order to induce some action on the other side because we've taken a heavy bet on on what uh, on the other side. You see what I mean? Yep, exactly. And do kind of key numbers play you know more of a you know does that have go into things as far as risk management more you know are you more does more thought process kind of have to go in of moving off a three or moving off a seven in the nfl or college or is it all kind of the same even if you're not on those key numbers well my boss is very strict he he won't have anybody move off a key number without his approval Mm -hmm. is it do you know if it's like that in las vegas kind of throughout i would say so but i don't know for sure um if you move off a key number you're going to get hit almost straight away (laughs) yeah um, so there has to be a reason you have to justify moving off that, off that key number. Um, so it, it will take a lot. For- is liability a good enough reason to move off a key number? Yes, it okay. is. It is. And my boss will make, will make the final call on that, but it takes a lot, it takes a lot of money to go from three to three and a half. And, uh, there's been cases or from seven to seven and a half. And there's been cases in the past where one of, one of my coworkers has done such a thing. And my boss has hit the roof, you know, <laughs> yeah. because we've taken X amount. Because you're going to get hit on both sides. You're going to get hit, get hit, hit by the favorite, um, by the public usually, and then hit by the dog on buyback, especially if a sharp group has kind of set up their position knowing that that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we, 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 we obviously we're very aware of these key numbers. And it, as I said, it takes a lot to move off those key numbers. Um, but li- as you said, liability will be that. Yeah. And again, we kind of touched on Logan. I just wanted to uh, to say uh, on that, we we do index as well. Um, And for your customers out there who don't know what indexing is, indexing is just moving the price rather than the line. So we may go from changing the juice around, changing the juice. Exactly. So instead of going from seven straight to seven and a half, we'll go to seven minus 15, seven minus 20, seven minus 25 if necessary. We'll do anything we can to get some bet backs on the other side without giving away that extra half a point. Right. And that's a difference um, between a CGT property and a uh, property like the South Point. The South Point does not believe in, in indexing and in, in changing juice. Right. They will always be minus 110 on a, on a point spread bet. Yep. Um, they just don't believe in it. They'll change the number, but they won't change that. Why do you think a company like that would, would not kind of go that route? Is it just old school bookmaking? They want to take a bet or, or is there a disadvantage or an advantage to it? I think the South Point has... Um, a, They're the only book in town that, that will not come off of minus 110, by the way. I think they have a, a tremendous amount of um, local action. Yep. And they want to... Um, pride themselves on, on being the local book yep, and giving the, giving the local customers um, a fair go um, on, on what, on what that return will be uh, on, on what their return will be on a minus one ten wager. Yep. Um, if you start overcomplicating things with minus one fifteen, minus one twenty, um, very quickly customers may choose a different book. Yeah. And again, they, they cater to locals, you know, more than anyone on the strip, that's for sure. And, and the, the M and South Point are located within maybe a mile of each other. They're right up the street from each other. The right. South Point is kind of the southernmost point on the strip, except for the M. Like a mile more south than the South Point is where the M is located. You make a very good point. The M um, is is the closest book to the South Point. And you could say that the M is a local book as well. Yep. But it's very much it's a different clientele that we have at CG Technology. Um, you go into the you go into the M, and then you walk down the road and go to the South Point, and you'll see um, the South Point is far busier yeah. than the M. Um, it's a nicer book with 
um, I don't want to badmouth my own book, but <laughs> no. it, it, the South Point is great. Yeah. The South Point uh, has everything there that you need. And that just goes back to stylistically what a company like CGT does, you know, in, in being different than other books. It's, you know, it's a cubicle style sports book. Um, so, I mean, that's not appealing to kind of watching, you know, games in a sports book all day. It's more, the M is more of a go in, place your bet and then kind of go to the bar. Whereas the South Point or a place like the Westgate, um, or any of these places, Aria, you, you know, you stay in the book because it's more inviting, but well, this is kind of difference in philosophy, I guess. There's a lot of things that we don't do at the end that the South Point does. We, we don't do drinks tickets. Mm -hmm. We don't have cocktail waitresses coming into the book to serve us. Why, why wouldn't the company do it? Our hands are tied. Um, CGT, the book at CGT, we only, we just rent out the space mm -hmm. because the M uh, is owned by Penn Gaming and and they it basically is two separate, two, two separate companies, two separate entities. Comes down from corporate, bro. Yes, it does. <laughs> I can really agree. I mean, it's not nothing you can do. Not it's, to get it's kind just, of too far off topic and talking about it's differences just, between books, yeah, but it's just it's it just looking at the bottom line, basically. Yeah, and this, that's kind of all you can do about it. But um, anything else you want to touch on as far as kind of philosophy of, of risk management, anything like that, before we kind of get into some of these other topics, um, including kind of what kind of live betting is done, um, the, the app and, and kind of Vegas as a whole now? Yeah, I think um, just talking about philosophy, um, you can talk about the different styles of bookmaking um, at CGT. Uh, as I said uh, previously, we like to try and take the biggest bets in town. We like to put guys on, or at least we certainly try to anyway, within reason. Uh, but if you take uh, other, the other model, the other end of the spectrum, like the William Hill model, for example, um, they throw out all of their sharp guys. I know this because I worked for William Hill. So, uh, I do speak with authority here, <laughs> um, in Australia, we, we threw out all of our sharp customers, both on racing and on sports. Um, again, they were just looking at their bottom line. Uh, it's, it is a smart business decision to not take sharp action. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that, but well, if you throw out the scalpers, you're going to save yourself a hundred thousand at the end of the year, but right. there, there will be times when you need those scalpers to, to get off. Um, a liability. If you're just constantly booking square action, there will be times every customer runs hot from time to time. Yep. And you're going to especially when they're betting parlays and, and all kinds of specialty bets that are kind of public driven for sure. And that there will be days where if you, if you take away the, the ability to balance your books, um, you know, if you take out those sharp customers, we, you know, you sometimes you're going to run bad. Because the, again, this is the sharp kind of sharp philosophy one-on-one is to be on the side of the house. Um, you know, being yeah. that the house always wins, right? Sure. So if, if a sharp group or a sharp person made, you know, took the liability of, of every single bet that Las Vegas needed, they wouldn't have had a losing month since July of 2013 in theory, right? So if you eliminate that, um, that's your buyback. That's, you know, so it, it does it. it on the surface, it does seem like a good business plan to kind of throw out your best guys that are winning, but you need them to balance your books sometimes. And not only that, sometimes you need that information too. Uh, if you can give them a, even just... All about the relationships and networking. Yeah. I've, I've had it happen. If you can give them a dime, give it, give them a dime, put them on. Sometimes that's all they want. Yeah. If, they, if they're going to give you that... if They'll take their number. Like if they know of an injury that's not out there, they'll take their number. If you're good to them, um, you know, give, like you said, give them a dime, give them what, what they want. And then usually they'll tell you, Hey, you might want to take this down. This, and, yeah. and that's how you build a relationship in Las Vegas with, with risk managers and with odds makers. For sure. For sure. 
but again, as you said, it's it's a corporate mentality. They they just want to kick out anybody that's winning and uh, make sure that bottom line uh, is looking better at the end of the year. You touched on scalpers and that word. For anyone that doesn't know, what is a scalper and what is kind of arbitrage? What is cherry picking? What are what are all those things? A scalper essentially is a. And how does that affect risk management? I'm sorry, go ahead. That's okay. A customer is essentially, uh, excuse me, sorry. A scalper is essentially a, cu- a customer who bets without any risk. Mm-hmm. How? For how exa- would they do that? For example, they may take uh, minus 135 with us and plus 140 with Pinnacle. They can have 1,350 with us to win 1,000, and they can have a 1,000 at plus 140. So if... Th- the dog wins, they win 50 bucks. And if the favorite wins, they get their money back. Basically. Right, it's basically a free roll. It's a free, they're free rolling for 50 bucks. But why would that affect you as far as what they're doing at other books? And how do you even know if someone is doing that? Well, we know because we look at the screen uh, and we see each company's prices on the screen. So we, we can see straight away if a scalp has opened up. How does that affect us and why would we knock them back? Because these guys, uh, these scalpers, they, they're basically betting with no risk, as I said. Um, so whether they win with us or lose with us, we know that over a year, they will show a return. We cannot beat these guys. It's, that's, it's as simple as that. Yeah, it's just simple math at that point. It is. Perfect. Well, we're going to get into some other things here, including basically apps, uh, live betting, um, Vegas kind of as a whole where the business is going. But before that, let's just talk about mybookie.ag. Mybookie.ag is the official online sportsbook of the Inside Vegas podcast and the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. Use promo code SGP50 to receive a 50% deposit bonus today. So the next thing that I want to get into is really what's been kind of the wave of the future and the next logical progression in Las Vegas and kind of their quest to to get some of the things that offshore and that market is taking taken away from them. And and that's the introduction of the mobile apps and what that kind of meant to live betting. Um, but, but really, I mean, for these offshore companies, like a bet online, like a five dimes for these United States markets, their big thing, their big sell was how convenient it is. You can sit on the couch in your underwear and bet till your heart's content or your credit card is maxed out. Yeah. Whichever comes first. So kind of what has, you know, from a risk management side, what is kind of what you've seen in regards to what the app is meant for, a company like CGT or Las Vegas as a whole, and kind of what has that uh, brought to the table? Well, from what I saw in the UK 15 years ago, um, with the introduction of the internet and online betting, it it totally changed the industry. And uh, we saw, I think I mentioned in the, this in part one, 90% of our handle in the UK and Australia was online. Yep. So with the introduction of apps to Las Vegas, it's definitely going to have an it's definitely had an effect uh, already, and it's definitely going to have a greater effect in the future. Um, you anything that can facilitate um, or make easier a customer uh, to be able to wager um, is going to be good for business. Yeah, I mean that's it's all about convenience, and and that's the big thing. But I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, right now, on a daily basis, two thirds of our handle, and uh, sometimes three quarters of our handle, comes from the app rather than uh, uh, over-the-counter business. What is the preferred method? Like, as a company, as a risk management team, as an odds-making team, would you prefer 
all bet in a perfect world. Every bet is tracked through the app. Would you prefer everything in cash? What is kind of the preferred method? Are you guys steering clients and customers one way or another, or is it just kind of whatever, whatever they want? Yeah, we definitely try to steer customers towards the app. We prefer the customers bet on accounts um, for the simple reason that we can track their business. <laughs> and we, yeah, or we can monitor their bet- betting patterns. It makes life easier for us. Um, it makes life easier for the customer too, um, but, but it's a bit of give and take as well. It certainly is. And, and I've had this happen in town. And the downfall from, from the other side of the counter, on my perspective, is exactly what he said. Everything is tracked. If you're hot, they're going to know. They're going to limit your bets. I've had my limits cut on naps. And it's terrible. From their perspective, obviously they want to be able to track accounts because they can, you know, whether someone is sharp, whether they're public, at least you know <clears throat> you can you can almost circle accounts and you can put them on alerts and they will know as soon as somebody makes a bet. And if it's a, a niche market, you know, the line's gonna move based on that bet. Um, so that's the downfall from the other side of the counter. Um, but I completely understand what you're saying about how on the other from <clears throat> your perspective how you would want to, to kind of have things tracked. Are there any kind of issues that you've run into with the mobile apps as far as like bets getting rejected? You know, that's a, that's something I've heard about happening or is there anything that's kind of, you know, the give in the take with the mobile apps? If you use the um, MyOnMe app that a lot of the books here have in town, bets go through automatically. The CGT app is not a MyOnMe app and we have uh, the ability to intercept bets uh, and knock them back or counter them with a lesser amount, sometimes a, a greater amount if we wish. Uh, so while we do, um, we do try to uh, steer customers towards betting on accounts, um, they have to understand that uh, if they're a sharp customer, we, we do uh, have the, a greater ability of knocking them back if we don't want their business. Yeah. And you said almost two thirds of your handle is, is on the apps. Oh, uh, two thirds, two thirds minimum. Yeah. Why, you know, that's a much greater advantage for a book. Why do you think that it's becoming so popular? Um, even amongst professionals, I I think like we said before, it just makes sense. It's just convenience. Um, it's just convenience, nothing more. And for anyone that doesn't know basically what the process is, is for a mobile app in Las Vegas, it's just like a sports book, except you can do it in cash. You go down there, you fill out a little bit of paperwork, and within five minutes, you can you know, deposit however much you want into your account. And then from there, it operates just like any offshore book would, like a five dimes. It's, it's a sports book in your pocket on your phone. Um, so from a convenience perspective, it, it really is the best thing in the world. And all you have to do to withdraw is go down to the book, show your ID, um, bring your player's card with your account number, and, and you're good to go. It's it Essentially, it's you know kind of something of... Of, a, of another bank or in all honesty um as far as taxing and things like that i know this isn't obviously your your area of expertise but if you go to you know a cgg property and you bet five thousand at minus 110 in cash and you've never seen anyone before that's not getting tracked that's not taxable i mean it, technically it is but it's not yeah well i mean we see a lot uh, almost on a daily basis we see customers try to run around to our different properties and bet under the that threshold yep i think uh, the threshold is three thousand um, for um, a uh, currency transaction report, and uh, ten thousand. If you, and if it's greater than ten thousand, you have to provide your social security number. Yep. So we constantly see bets of nine thousand eight hundred, nine thousand nine hundred, because customers they they really like to remain anonymous, and I can <laughs> tot- I can totally understand that. So they, 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 there's many ways of of circumventing that. Um, 
anti-money laundering procedure. Yeah. Is that, um, is that something that you think will continue to grow and more options? Because honestly, the, I think the Westgate is, is a really good app. Um, the South Point one's kind of archaic. I think CGT is doing a lot of good things well as well, but the, Another kind of appeal point of these offshores is, you know, these these skins and these options. Um, for anyone that has never used a Las Vegas mobile app, it's very basic. Um, it doesn't have, you know, the bells and whistles of a five dimes or what a bet online has. A lot of the options are, are even limited. Mm. Um, do you think that they'll kind of continue to improve kind of the functionality, the options, even, you know, kind of the sexy glitz and glam of the app? Or is it just kind of it's a function? This is it. And we want to not put any money into this as little as possible. No, they will have to improve the app. I agree. They will have to improve because um, before long, some of the corporate bookmakers from the UK, Paddy Power, Ladbrokes, William Hill already have a presence here and their, their app is actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, the apps will, with the technology, the apps will improve yeah, and uh, they will be more user-friendly and make things more efficient and easier for customers to place bets. Um, so yes, they will have to improve. Is there two separate sets of liability for uh like if you have a mobile app, you know, you have an app handle and then you have your cash handle. Is that all pulled into one or is that two separate where you could be 10 grand in the red on for mobile apps, but you're 20 grand in the green on cash side? No, it's all pulled into one. It's all pulled into one. But at the end of the day, when we do our, our reports, uh, our, our closing reports, we do break it down uh, into customer wages and over-the-counter wages because we do like to get a sense of... Um, where we're winning and losing, yep. which customers are beating us. Of course, and it's, it's again. But the pre-game at the start of the day, before everything is done, all of the money that's wagered it goes into one pool. Yeah, and that's one of those things as to what side of the fence I kind of fall on when it comes to is it peer versus peer? Is it me versus another gambler? Is it me versus or a professional versus a, a bookmaker? And that's where I come in on, on that side, that it is a hundred percent, in my opinion, a gambler versus a bookmaker. Um, and the number just kind of is what it is at that point. Um, but that's, that's kind of going over the mobile app. Uh, live betting is something to me that's kind of revolutionized uh, betting and handicapping in general, because if you're not familiar with, with live betting, and I, I would bet that a lot of you, as, as much as I think that everyone should be doing it, a lot of people just aren't. Um, so we just want to kind of go into what live betting does from a risk management perspective, because I can only imagine how that could turn everything on its head with you know one swing of one basket or one touchdown or, or anything like that. Well, live betting, um, it offers the customer the ability to change their position, uh, press up on their original position, do whatever they like, to be honest, bet the other side of the game. Um, it, it, it offers so much freedom to the customer. They can in, watch the, uh, a basketball game, a football game, and if they see something they like or they, if they see a momentum shift, they can definitely uh, jump in and, and bet whatever they like. Um, we've seen in the last 10 to 15 years in the UK and in Australia, live betting explode. Yep. Uh, so much so that I make no exaggeration here when I say that in Australia – our live running, uh, excuse me, our in running handle was greater than our pregame handle on those. I think it should be. I really do. It is, you know, in football, you're talking about a way to get, you know, a minus 10 or minus seven to down to minus four. And this happened with New England this past uh, playoff run. Uh, when it was against Tennessee, they were down seven nothing. That line uh, moved to minus four. 
Uh, and with Jacksonville, obviously that one was down four, uh, 14 three, but as seven point favorites, whatever it is, they were plus three and a half. Um, even over key numbers. I mean, it's especially in basketball where teams go on runs, both uh, college and professional, all the time. And customers love to come back too. They love to see a, um, a team that's down by 14, down by 17. They love to see that comeback. So, and they love to get that plus money. So they love that return. So you're going to get action. Yeah, 100%. And as they should, I mean, I really don't think that people are live betting enough. I really don't. Is live betting two different sets of liability for say, like, let's say pregame, there's an NFL game where one team is favored by seven. The, the dog gets the ball first, scores a touchdown, um, and now it's minus three, right? So you had your pregame liability of say whatever it is, you know, 40,000. Um, and now is there a whole new set of liability that kind of is automated for each number that that moves to, or kind of how do you manage when a number is constantly changing, especially in basketball? Is there liability for 30, you know, 40 different sets of numbers now, or kind of how do those two relationships kind of meet? Yeah, there is, there is actually, um, we offer, um, as many handicaps and totals as we can on a, any given basketball game. And by the end of the, by the end of the game, if you look at my system, I've actually got about 30 or 40 different, yeah, different, liabilities. different liabilities. Um, and that like that liability is, is totally separate from the pregame market, uh, for the simple reason that, um, we just don't have the handle here in Las Vegas that we do overseas yeah. for in running. So, um, Whatever liability I rack up on an in-running game is is not going to have, or going to have very little impact on what the pre-game liability would be. So one thing that's very interesting to me is again you're not making these live numbers, so you have to manage risk for a number that you didn't create, and yeah. that's even you know that happens for pre-game because you're not the same person that's making the lines. Um, well, I guess first and foremost, where do these? How are these live in-game numbers being created? So I think I should um, explain these numbers, these automated in-running numbers, they come from Europe and they come predominantly from the UK. For all Las Vegas? For Certainly for CGT and for uh, certainly for a few other companies that I know use the same products that we do. Yep. Um, it's a service in London. They trade the games and they send their prices via a feed to us in real time. Mm -hmm. And does CGT, can you live bet on the app on CGT? Does CGT offer live betting? Or? And we pay, for, excuse me, we pay for that service. Yep. It's just a, it's a third party outsourced service. I'm sorry. Does CGT offer live betting um, in any other properties via the app or in person? Via the app only. Yep. Um, you cannot, at the moment, you cannot bet over the counter for, uh, for in running. Um, we, we, we thought about it, but we came to the conclusion that um, the prices would be moving so quickly that it would be difficult for several customers to get their bet on, um, to walk up to the counter, to tell the ticket writer what they want, make sure the price is fine. You know, that, that, that whole process um, would take too long. Yeah, and I've seen it done both ways. Uh, companies like South Point, like the Westgate specifically, Westgate is probably the biggest one in Vegas for live betting. Um, basically every commercial is what they did. Yeah. Um, so anytime there's a stoppage, 
a TV timeout, um, basketball, football, um, hockey. I'm not really sure about how they do it because I don't bet it. Uh, but any of those you can live bet basically every commercial. It's just, you give the, it'll say in-game wagering, especially for prime time standalone games. Uh, it's pretty simple, but the lines can get big and you can get kind of boxed out and not be able to get your number down. And more, more power to Westgate, to be fair. Um, I'm definitely not saying that we do things uh, perfectly at CGT. We would like to offer over-the-counter wagering for in-running, um, but that's a decision um, above my pay grade. Yeah, for sure. It's nothing to do with you, but it's just it, it's it's weird to me that you have to manage risks by numbers that you didn't create, and maybe I didn't kind of think of that enough. Yeah. But, I mean, is that so... It's going back to the point that we made earlier. You just have to trust the number that they send you. Yeah, and that's it. So how do you... See, think how I kind of want to word this. I don't want to say that you get in trouble because that's not the right thing, but say, mm -hmm. you know, you guys get absolutely killed on a live in-game. In I mean, that's not your fault. Have, and we have. I mean, what? how do you mitigate that risk when even if you think that that's a bad number, that's, I mean, again, you say it goes back to trusting your numbers, but yeah. I mean, that can't be on you as a risk manager if you get killed live on a number that you didn't create. No, we, we, we try, if, if we rack up too big of a liability, we try to shut down that particular market. Yeah. Uh, I generally don't like to close the whole game. I like to offer customers um, a service, but uh, if the liability on one particular market is too high, I'll close that market down. What are kind of the limits on live betting and things like that? Well, we have in the past um, had liabilities um, exceeding 25, 30,000, but general, as a general rule, if something gets bigger than 10,000, I'll try to close it down. Yeah. It's not a bad philosophy, but higher profile games are different. Yeah. I mean, those are kind of all bets a lot. Think, go back to the Floyd Mayweather fight and, th and things like that. Yeah. Do you offer in-game for absolutely everything, including you know these niche markets like tennis in between or UFC in between rounds, or is it just the big ticket stuff? We have the ability to. Um, the BetRadar, which is BetRadar, by the way, I should mention that. BetRadar is the company that sends us those prices. BetRadar offers in-running on all of those sports that you just mentioned, and we would like to offer that, um, but we're still um, testing our system to make sure that it can handle um, multiple multiple events at the same time. So at the moment, we're just focusing on the four core US sports, um, football, basketball, baseball, and I hope that we'll be introducing hockey pretty soon. Yeah. Anything else you want to touch on between the apps and live betting or anything like that? Yeah, I'd like to say that um, with the in-running, there's no intercepts. All bets go through automatically. Um, Pre-game, we have the we have the ability to counter reject bets yep. uh, at our discretion. Um, the in-running wagering goes through automatically, so there's no way for us to um, knock something back if the mark if the number is outside of the market. So that's my primary job at the moment is to make sure that those prices are in line with the market, and if it isn't, close it down or make some manual changes. <laughs> Cool. So with that, uh, again, going back to your story, coming from Australia, coming from the UK, what are some of the biggest differences you've seen in risk management and line movement and things like that uh, from Australia and the UK to Vegas? I think um, the whole organization is different in Australia. Um, in terms of the job itself, um, myself and my coworkers, we were doing everything. We were odds compilers and risk managers rolled into one. We would um, build the games, price up the games, 
do the risk management side of things. At least you die by your own sword in that kind of scenario, though. Like, I feel like it's a ton more work, but at least it's, if you're going down, it's a number that you made, right? It, right. It's a tremendous amount of work. But yes, you're spot on. It's it's a number that we came up with. It's uh, We had uh, complete control over over the, the number that we put out and the liability that we racked up on that particular game. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, and but we more than that, though, we were customer service operators. We were telephone um, bet takers. We were everything. We were settling the games at the end. We, we did everything rolled into one. In Las Vegas, each department is separate, certainly at CGT. Yep. Um, the analytics uh, department is separate from the risk management um, the admin department is different. Those are the guys that grade the games, build the, the games into the system, put the sheets out at the properties. All of that is separate. Yep. And I think it's a more efficient way of doing things. Um, you know what your role is. Um, you have a more def you have a better defined role, for sure. How can what are some things that what market I don't want to say market but what kind of style do you like better the overseas UK Australian version of doing things like that or do you prefer the Las Vegas way where it's just this is your one job? Uh, it's basically uh, a bit a little bit of both. I like um, the way that things are done in the UK and Australia in terms of what we can offer for the customer. But I like the way things are done in Las Vegas in terms of how our roles are defined. Yeah, everyone just kind of does their job. Yeah, you know, you know what you like. I said before, I'm repeating myself now, but um, you know what your job is here here in Las Vegas, and that's all you have to focus on. Is there anything that you would like to see the Vegas markets from a you know an employee risk management perspective kind of improve on or, or do different, or is there anything? That they're doing well, just kind of, you know, what is, you know, what can Vegas kind of do to kind of take things to the next level, especially from a risk management perspective? Um, from a customer perspective, um, we can definitely improve. We, we already touched on the app. Um, we need to make the app faster, more efficient. We need to give the customer the ability to deposit via the app straight away, you know, instead of having to come into the book and, and deposit. Over cash, the counter. Yeah. Just make, you've got to make life a as lot easy easier as possible. Yeah, exactly. And um, generally, as well, um, the whole marketing aspects um, in the U in the UK and Australia, you couldn't get enough of the marketing. Yeah, it was just promos every single day. We're talking. It's legal in Australia, by the way. For anyone that doesn't know, um, sports gambling is legal there. Um, and I think that has a little bit to do with it as far as kind of the stigma and, and the taboo version of outside of Las Vegas, this is illegal, which is kind of why it's still in the shadows. I mean, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there is no taboo um, subject in Australia when it comes to gambling. It's perfectly legal. Um, it's on the TV, it's on radio, it's everywhere. You walk into any pub and there's a betting station there with TVs up there. It's You almost can't get away from it <laughs> in Australia. It's a little bit of an overkill, but it's definitely not a taboo subject. And um, going back to what I said before about the marketing, uh, we need to do more of that in Las Vegas. We need ways of retaining customers because if we can't retain our customer, we have no business. And they'll easily go to another book yeah so um we had uh bonuses we had money back offers um you know you lose lose win three legs and lose the fourth leg of your parlay pushes the pushes or yeah, whatever get I've your money that. back anything they're creative over there man because it, again it's I feel like it's it's more customer driven on those markets than it is in Las Vegas. Las Vegas, it's I mean, I guess at the end of the day, it is a business, but I mean, you can still kind of have fun with it and kind of do your own things. 
Las Vegas is so set in their ways because, I mean, yeah, it's worked oh. for this long, but it's just, they don't like change at all. I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, you can't go anywhere else. In, yeah. Uh, you know, Supply and demand. Yeah. But uh, you have so much choice in Australia and the, and the UK as well that companies have to fight for their customers. They have to fight to retain those customers. And they're constantly using uh, personalities, sports personalities, media personalities to promote their companies. It's, it's a huge business over there. As it should be. I mean, you look at things like legalized weed in, in Colorado and all over, and I mean, billion dollar tax revenues, there's new schools, the roads are beautiful. And I mean, again, I know that this kind of, I don't want to go too far off subject here, but what kind of things do you, I mean, I wouldn't, I mean, from a gambling and a gambler's perspective in Las Vegas, people don't, it's, it's functional is the word that I would say. It's, you can get in, you can get out, you can get what you need. And when you look at it from a business perspective, especially from the professional side, it, it serves its purpose, but there's nothing new. There's nothing exciting. This new wave of people, I mean, the latest kind of installation into Las Vegas was the apps. Um, and before that, um, I mean, they're kind of doing marketing things now with like VSIN and, and, and all those, but yeah, I mean, from a national perspective, it's weird because if you watch things like horse racing, like the triple crown events or anything like that, like they'll, they'll have handicappers there. They'll market it. There has promo codes to go deposit on this website. It's right in your face. Um, and then to take that into, you know, major league baseball doesn't acknowledge it exists because it's kind of a, an, an old school sport. NBA is getting there um, with Adam Silver, you know, talking about the uh, integrity fee and all that. Football wants nothing to do with it, but even media outlets like ESPN, um, I mean, they'll bring it up on college game day. Like they have, uh, I think Chris Felica does like his picks and stuff, but the NFL doesn't even acknowledge that gambling exists. Um, so kind of, you know, I don't know what kind of can bring it to the next step is, is the hot button topic right now, which is legalization. So I guess... Uh, I mean, what do you see from a legalization? What will legalization do to Las Vegas sports gambling, do you think? It can only be a good thing. Uh, I really believe that. Um, I don't think legalizing gambling in the United States would have a detrimental effect on Las Vegas books. Most of the books here would be prepared for that already and would be able to move sports books into their casinos, into the other 50 states, wherever they may be. Yep. Um, with legalization comes regulation. With regulation also comes the ability to monitor these sports on a far greater level than is already being, uh, that is already happening. Do you think that it, I mean, so it, for those people that don't know, in Nevada, there's a Nevada Gaming Commission that basically oversees every Las Vegas sports book and casino, for that matter, uh, to make sure that things are you know, in compliance and all that. How do you kind of see that relationship working in that, you know, if, the, if it happens in New Jersey, I assume there would be a New Jersey gaming um, control board in the way that there is now for their casinos, but it would kind of be maybe, you know, a separate branch or whatever it is for Sportsbook or for it all fall under one. Um, but, you know, again, the blueprint to, to run a successful you know, sports gambling industry is in Las Vegas. But do you think that they'll kind of change the way things are done or kind of do it on their own and it'll just kind of be the wild west until people kind of figure it out? Or how do you see that going? I think I can only go uh, from what I've seen in the UK. Um, I'll give you two quick examples. There's uh, a UK gambling commission that acts as an arbiter between customers and the sports books. If there's any discrepancies, you can go to the commission and, and raise your grievance with them. Uh, which is which is a fantastic uh, thing to be able to do. 
Um, I'll give you an example. William Hill were recent. William Hill in the UK were recently fined six point two million pounds for uh, failing to c- comply with anti money laundering procedures um, over there. What did they do? Do you know like specifically? Yeah, there was uh, several customers that were uh, depositing large amounts of money. Uh, like it was about and ended up losing like one point two million pounds. Um, but there was no, um, we call it KYC, know your customer. There was no, <laughs> there was no um, uh, procedure to know who these people were. Um, and it basically, uh, it, it came about that they, this money came from illegal activity. Yeah, and they laundered it. And they laundered it. So with that, when we talk about scalping, and we touched on this earlier, uh, the big deal with scalping and what it does is it, it opens up uh, these companies like William Hill to money laundering. Um, so, you know, why, why does a company care or why does a company do need to do all that it can to kind of stop these, uh, you know, stop the potential of money laundering? Like what is like, would be the hypothetical example of how this could happen? Yeah. Anti-money laundering procedures are, are a big thing with, um, any sports book being in, be it in Las Vegas, Australia, the UK, anywhere, every company must comply with these anti-money laundering procedures. Uh, I'll give you a hypothetical example would be, uh, you have uh, you lay eleven thousand to win ten on one side, and then you lay and then if the line goes in your favour, you lay eleven thousand to win ten on the other side. You've essentially wagered twenty two thousand. You know that you're going to get twenty thousand or twenty one thousand back. So it's cost. It's a way you, to clean your money. Yeah, it's a way to clean your money. It's cost you ten percent of your money to wager twenty twenty one thousand. Dollars exactly, and you so, know that you're going to get both sides of it back. And we have a rule at CGT: we don't allow customers to bet both sides, be it fifty dollars or fifty thousand um, dollars. You cannot bet both sides because we cannot be seen uh, to be knowingly allowing customers to to do this kind of thing. It's not always money laundering. It's not always money laundering, but. Um, it's, it is black and white. Yeah, so and we have to have a blanket rule. Yeah, exactly. I don't blame them. So when it comes to legalization, I mean, again, the big hot button topic is is what these what jobs it will be created from it, and that's kind of for anyone that's opposed to sports gambling being legal. That's kind of the way that lawmakers are are kind of selling it is because if you build a sports book, you need an odds maker, you need a risk manager, you need ticket writers, you need bartenders, et cetera, and so forth. So kind of. You know, it's weird because this is a market that could potentially have hundreds of million dollars dumped in it essentially overnight. So what would that do to kind of, you know, how do you, would that affect Las Vegas um, from, you know, say it goes legal in Jersey and they have a different type of liability or they're opening up different lines. You know, what would that kind of do from a, a risk management perspective or an odds perspective or anything like that? Um, in terms of the, the nation as a whole, I, I think if legalization happens we're going to see the same thing that we saw happen in Australia back in 2009, 2010. I'll touch on that right now. I was working for a small company in Australia in 2009, and we were bought out by Sportsbet, which is one of the largest companies in Australia. Subsequently, Sportsbet was bought out by Paddy Power, which is one of the largest uh, corporate bookmakers in the UK. And... Paddy Power were the first, I believe, to come over to Australia around about that time. But slowly but surely, you had William Hill, Betfair, Bet365, Ladbrokes, and Betfred all come over to Australia. 
and all looking to get a piece of that pie. Yep. And I think you're going to see the same thing here in the United States once uh, legalization happens. You're going to have these big corporate companies like Paddy Power, like Bet365. As I've already said, William Hill has a presence here. Um, the other companies like Labbrooks too, they're all going to come over here into the US and they'll be looking to take over these companies like Caesars, MGM, CGT, and mm-hmm. others. I think that's what's going to happen. And I think that the, the other question is what then happens to the employees? Right. Two, two schools of thought here. Um, one, these companies, they bring over their own their own employees, their own risk managers, their own odds compilers, um, and kick all of us out, or they incorporate us into their into their business model. Yep. And I think that will happen. I don't think, um, you know, I, I think a risk manager in Las Vegas right now, if they stay with their job, they would be very valuable to these companies because they're they're on the they're on the scene basically. They're at the ground level and they've they've worked in Las Vegas and they know how this town operates when it comes to gambling. Yeah. And that's the thing, right? Like there's no only, I mean, when you think about it, there's oh, whatever it is, a hundred sports books in Las Vegas, there's a hundred risk managers, couple that with the offshore ones. If this goes nationwide, I mean, you're gonna have to start training some, some risk managers pretty quickly. So I think it's, you know, it's not a bad field to get into, especially with, you know, the upcoming legalization that I think at this point is a, a when and not a if it's going to happen. Yeah. You're going to need, I mean, you, with with that legalization going nationwide, you have the you can set up shop anywhere you want. Yeah, but you're still going to need risk managers, odds compilers, all of those guys. You're going to need those guys with experience mm-hmm. um, because we basically we are the the foot soldiers. We are the guys who manage the money. Yeah. What um I mean we just touched on that, but like what if. It, to me, this is so fascinating, the fact that it's a fluid market that just could be flipped on its head. But is there anything that could, you know, if New Jersey has a completely different liability for whatever reason, would it just be an extended version of Las Vegas where you have, you know, when you look at your screen and you see all that these lines are opened up here and everyone's liability is X, will it just be an extension of that to, you know, say, all right, well, somebody go check Jersey or if it gets 50 states, I mean... Uh, you know, everyone in Las Vegas from an odds perspective is kind of within, you know, a point and point and a half of each other. Yeah. So, you know, I think it's gonna be very interesting to see, you know, if you know, Texas has a, a 20 point different line, you know, what in the hell people would do about it because nobody wants to be different. I don't think that would happen, uh, to be honest. I think um, anytime you, you expand your sphere of influence, um, you're going to get more liquidity. Yep. If you have more liquidity, it strengthens the market and it solidifies the market. So you 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 won't get a situation where there'll be minus fifteen in Texas and minus eighteen in Las Vegas and minus twelve in New Jersey. I, I just don't see that happening. If if anything is going to go the other way, there'll be a, a solid market across the board across the nation. Yep. Because you have, as I said, you you have that extra liquidity. You have more people having the ability to bet. Um, so volume is going to strengthen the market. Would you say as a risk manager though, that like, would you even check those lines or would you just check Vegas if you were, you know, making, say you're, you're a risk manager in the next 10 years, it's legal in 20 other States. 
would you even look at those or would you just stick to what what is known and just look at the other Las Vegas shops to, to kind of, you know, move your number or hang your original number? I would have no prejudice uh, towards any particular book. Um, I would look at the books that have the highest volume. I'm sorry to repeat myself, but no, it's fine. volume, volume handle is what's going to tell you the true price of the market. Right. Uh, let's use the example of Betfair in the UK. And uh, I think you, you, most of your listeners will be aware of, of Betfair and how it revolutionized betting in the UK in the last 10 to 15 years. Betfair as an exchange allowed the sharpest customers, all of whom got kicked out by the, the, the books in the UK, they had nowhere to go, so they move on to the exchange, onto Betfair. Yep. As a result, you have a market with zero VIG and extremely high liquidity it gives you the truest sense of what a number should be on a particular market so with that i to answer your question i would look at any any company or any exchange with a high volume to tell me what a number should be that what a number should accurately be for any given football basketball baseball game yep Anything else with legalization you think is pertinent in terms of, of kind of expansion within Las Vegas? I mean, you've been in this industry all over the world. Is there, I mean, this is kind of the next logical step, but anything that, you know, you think is pertinent, either be a, a pro or con or just kind of anything that kind of put a bow on all this for legalization? Technology um, and the internet, it's not going to go away. So we need to um, find a way to make things faster and more efficient. Yep. Um, we need to ask ourselves, what does the customer want? The customer wants fast payouts, instant payouts. As soon as the game, as soon as the final whistle goes, they want to see their money into their account. If we can find a way to do that without having to wait, even five minutes is too long yep. to wait for payouts. We need a way to give instant withdrawals to customers, be it over the counter, if they walk into a sports book or via a bank account. We need to find a way to give that extremely fast service to the customers and they will reward us with their loyalty if we can do that. We also want to find a way to give customers um, the chance to place a bet and not have to mess about with being knocked back. Oh, you want 500s? No, you can have 300. You right. want 1,000? No, you can have 500. It just gets too messy. Yeah, the Custom, haggle of it. The haggle of it, yeah. The, cust the customers just want to get on. They just want to get on at the number that they choose and, and be done with. That's all that they want. If we can find a way to do that. And as I already mentioned, exchanges do that fantastically already. This is why companies like Betfair and Matchbook are so successful right now because they give that freedom to the customer that you just don't get at a, at a regular sports book. <laughs> Couldn't agree with you more, man. Anything else you want to touch on with this whole risk management scenario? I, I can't thank you enough for coming on and, and kind of giving a peek behind the curtain because, you know, everyone knows what an odds maker does, right? They hang lines. They, they come up with their power numbers that they, they put them out and you can bet them. But I don't think a lot of people even know that, that you guys exist in a lot of ways. I think a lot of people think it's all one job and, and they move lines. They set their own lines. And they uh, and they move them. So it's a it's it's a crazy thing, especially when you think of, of everything that you're in charge of with you know live betting and liabilities and futures and and how everything is tied together day in day out. So again, can't thank you enough. Um, is there anything else uh, you want to touch on in any of this this kind of realm? Yeah, I think I'd like to just close out with uh, a general point about the the job that we do and our relationship with the customers. Um, I think there's still an element of 
uh, an us versus them mentality. And you always want to try and beat the bookie. Um, you always want to try and uh, get one over the bookie. Um, from our from our perspective, it's, it's definitely not like that. Yeah, we don't. We, we, you know, we don't cheer when somebody loses fifty thousand dollars. You know, it's 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 we could because we're looking at the longer term thing. Yeah, we lose you know, a customer or whatever. Yeah, we we look at it on a long term basis. Um, yes, we have our bad days and we have our good days, but what we want more than anything, certainly from my perspective, is we want to build up a good relationship with the customers. Um, we want to give them what they want. And uh, be it drinks, tickets, comps, customer service promotions, um, as I just mentioned, fast payouts, fast withdrawals, all of those things um, will benefit the customer. And if it benefits the customer, it benefits us because they reward us with that loyalty. Um, I definitely want to try and move away from a um, us versus them mentality. Um, it, it's just not like that. It may be... On, on your side of the counter, it may be that way, but yeah. on my side of the counter, we, we definitely don't think that way. Yeah. I mean, it's not your money. I mean, at the end of the day, I yeah. mean, you know, I mean, you have a job to do and that, that is what it is, but yeah, I agree, bro. It, we, it's a long-term thing. It is. We, we provide a service. We don't entice anybody to bet. If somebody wants to bet, that's perfectly fine. We'll, we'll take their action. Uh, and we, we run a business like any other business. We have a margin and if we can balance our books, and win a small percentage at the end of the day. That's all we're looking for. Cool, man. Well, thanks again. Appreciate it. Um, and again, thank I just can't thank you enough for coming on, giving a peek behind the curtain, man. My pleasure. Thank you for having me.